Welcome back or to the Grace Church Members Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rivers, and I'm excited to be joining you today. When you think of Pentecost, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Do you understand its meaning? Old Testament beginnings and what happened on Pentecost? Well, in this episode with Jim Taylor and Brian Darnell, we talk about the implications of spirit indwelling believers. We have a great conversation about what members can look forward to about May 28 Pentecost services and how we can think about this important discipleship moment. Okay, let's listen in on this discussion. All right, great to see you guys today. Good to be here. Well, guys, uh, just to catch us up to speed, Brian reached out to me last week to see if we could do an impromptu episode to share with our members to help us prepare for a special Pentecost teaching that we have planned on May 28th, this coming weekend. So we actually had an episode planned that we were going to post, but Brian, you felt it was important for us to maybe pause that and do this episode. So Brian, why don't you tell us what you were thinking? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for letting me kind of interrupt your plan. But I just was thinking about Pentecost coming up, and this will be our second year taking a, a real swing at Pentecost and mm-hmm. emphasizing it in a new way as a church. Yeah. And I was just thinking personally, I'm a worship leader, get to lead worship every week. I think about our services, our content, what we do on the weekends. And I was like, what would it look like for us to have a conversation and get a little bit of the behind the scenes of why should this be important to us as a body, as a church? And so I asked um, Jim Taylor to come and bring his wisdom, (laughs) bring all of his knowledge and everything that he does with our teaching team and just give us a little context on what is Pentecost anyways. Yeah, the word Pentecost means 50th, which is kind of a weird name for a holiday, right? But that comes from reference to this feast that was celebrated in Israel. And this feast happened 50 days after Passover or seven weeks after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So it was called the Feast of Weeks. It was a one-day harvest festival, and um, it'd probably be worth reading Leviticus 23, 15, and 16, just because it describes it. So um, it says in Leviticus 23, from the day after the Sabbath... Day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So you have this festival where they're growing grain, and this is kind of the, the, the first fruits, right? When it starts to produce, then you celebrate that, right? God is taking care of us. I mean, you gotta you gotta put yourself back into the mindset of what would it be like to live in an agrarian society where if God doesn't send rain and your crops don't grow, you starve, mm. right? So this is, this is worth celebrating, and really that's, that's the origins of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. We're going to celebrate new grain. Yeah. No, that's, that context is fascinating. It's probably not the text that we're all familiar with. Probably not. <laughs> Those festivals. You're not, re- you're not reading Leviticus I, all the time? You know, mm-hmm. I did in college. <laughs> No, this is why this is helpful. So tell us a little bit. So what happened with the apostles? Obviously, we can read it in Acts, but give us a little context. Yeah, so when you read about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, I mean, there's there's a few things that have taken place, right? One of the, and, and I mean, it takes, takes us a little bit of work to kind of get back to what they were feeling, but Jesus had come, you know, he had, he had died, he had been resurrected, and then he ascends to heaven. So he hangs around for a little while, and then all of a sudden they're looking around, and he is raised up into a cloud, and there's a couple angels there that says, hey, don't freak out. He's going to come back someday the same way you saw him go. 
But then imagine what it would be like to be in their world where, you know, you, you ask the question, where does God live? Right? I'm, and, and the answer is, well, he lived originally in Eden, but then that was lost, and, you know, Adam and Eve were exiled. And then he lived in the tabernacle, where, you know, between the Ark of the Covenant, that's where his visible presence dwelled. And then the tabernacle kind of gets rolled into the temple that Solomon built. Well, then when the temple's destroyed and they're exiled to Babylon, then they come back and rebuild it, but everybody's real sad, you know, and, and God, God is silent. There's like 400 years of silence where he's not speaking, nobody's prophesying. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is like, I'm the temple. I mean, we just studied that in, in John chapter 2 not too long ago. And so then everybody kind of, these disciples, they you know, see him as the Messiah. They, they rally around him. He's crucified, resurrected, and then ascends. And now what would you be thinking? Uh, I guess we just pray <laughs> and wait. You know, he promised that his spirit would come, but yeah. that's what they're doing. That's what you see happening in, in the beginning of the book of Acts is they're just, you've got about 120 people who are gathered together and they're just waiting and praying. And that's kind of mm. the setup for Pentecost, right? Like yeah. God, we don't know where God is. What's he doing? We're just, we're kind of waiting. Mm. And so that's, um, that's kind of what, what was going on at the time when the spirit actually arrives. Yeah, that's great. You were talking me through some of that earlier, and I was trying to put myself in the shoes of an Old Testament follower mm-hmm. without the Spirit, what it would have looked like to daily attempt to walk in obedience without that kind of access to the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And it's just hard to get your mind around what it would look like. We're so used to it. It's such a comfortable thing for us to know. We have a comforter, right. an advocate with us, and access to Him. Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating. So could you maybe like... Ba- we see the Gospels, the Gospels end, Jesus is gone, and so then the church is, is born. We see work is happening, and then could you, like, bring us up, like, what happened at Pentecost? Sure, yeah. Yeah, let me, let me um, start by kind of going back into the Old Testament a little okay. bit, right? I think that'll give us a good, um, a good sense of the significance of what we see happening on that day. Yeah. So if you, if you go back, um, you know, all the way back to Genesis 15, when God appears to Abram and he makes a covenant with Abram, when God appears to him, it says that, that he appeared like a, a smoking cauldron or a flaming torch, right? That's what passes through these animals that have been severed when God makes this promise to Abraham. And God is basically saying, hey, if I don't keep my covenant, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. And ironically, it does happen to him. Mm. I mean, Jesus is killed. God is killed. To keep that promise, and but but the appearance of God, that flaming torch, mm-hmm. you know, is is an important image because when you get to Moses, you know, the Israelites are enslaved. God raises up Moses and calls him to go deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And do you remember how God first appears to him in a burning bush, mm-hmm. like a flaming bush, but it isn't burned up, it isn't consumed. And then when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, when he leads them through the wilderness at night, he appears to them like a pillar of fire. So you have all these images of fire, burning, glowing light, and those are carried into the New Testament as well. Um, When it's worth mentioning at Mount Sinai, when God gives them the law, I mean, the mountain is shaking, 
it's smoking, and then there at the pinnacle, there's this whirling fire at the top that symbolizes God's presence. So fire is associated with his presence, mm-hmm. right? And even in the New Testament, I mean, John describes Jesus in Revelation having eyes like a flame of fire. Mm-hmm. There's, just, there's other places in the scriptures too, Ezekiel 1 and, and, and all these different spots. But that's important because when you get to Pentecost, what happens is you have this sound like a rushing wind, and wind, breath, spirit, it's all the same word in Greek, right? So the spirit comes, and the 120 disciples are gathered together praying, and then you see fire descend. But then it doesn't just descend, it says it's divided. It's divided, and little, little flames of fire rest on each of them, right? And then there's this thing happening with tongues and people hearing what God has done in their own languages, because you got all these people gathered together. From different nations. Different nations, right? But that image of fire, what does that symbolize? That symbolizes God's presence. And so, so just contrast that to what an Israelite would have been used to. Like, if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to where God lived. That's right. And where did God live? He lived in Jerusalem. Where in Jerusalem? In the temple. In the Holy of Holies. Right, but what what happened when Jesus was crucified is that veil in the temple it was torn in two, mm-hmm. and so the the most holy place you know that was supposed to house the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt the Shekinah glory between the cherubim, mm-hmm. like that's ripped open. So it's symbolizing, hey, there's no barrier anymore, right? And eventually that temple is going to be destroyed in seventy A.D. And Jesus, you know, clearly says, "I'm the new temple. Yeah. God's God lives in me," you know. And so there's this transition that's happening. So when you get to Pentecost, now this visible, fiery presence of God, what's significant is it's not just in one location. What happens? It gets divided among all of these people. And so then they're speaking to all the nations. It's a, it's a huge reversal of what has happened in the Old Testament. Instead of all the nations having to come to Jerusalem to get to God... Now what happens? God comes, and he's being dispersed to all the nations, and there's direct access. There's no barrier. I mean, it is, it is an incredibly significant event, and the New Testament, you know, will reiterate this idea over and over that it's not just we had this temple where God lived. Then Jesus became the temple. Then Jesus ascends, and he sends his spirit, and what's the new temple? It's us. Mm. as believers. Like God lives inside of me, not just in me individually, but in every believer, and not just in every believer individually, but even in believers corporately. So Paul picks up on this idea in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that you, plural, are the temple of God? It's a very interesting language. I mean, he's speaking plural in, in all these contexts, and he's saying you corporately are the temple of God, and God dwells in you. That's plural also. So, you know, there's a sense where God inhabits me, not just as an individual, but when I gather with his people, he corporately indwells us as a body. So all that, I mean, that's very significant language, and those are, those are big ideas, right? And if you were living at this time, you were one of these people, that's revolutionary. You're like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Yeah, It's not just there and it's not just in this person but like in me mm. on me in me i mean that's that's a different deal mm. 
Well, we need a minute to just let that sit on us. That's a lot of information, but it's also really helpful context. So I'm curious, just to go back to the beginning, Jim. So we said this idea that Pentecost means 50. Mm-hmm. So what, is, what do you think the significance is that 50 days later, the Spirit comes on Pentecost? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, here's, what, here's what I think. So you've got that, you know, the, the Feast of Weeks, was 50 days. So, I mean, that was, that was set. It's almost to me like God hijacks his own feast hmm. and adds a new meaning to it, right? So if you go back and you, th- you think, okay, 50 days later, the, the first heads of grain are coming in, right? Okay, hmm. God, has, God has cared for us. It's, it's bearing fruit. Hmm. The harvest is happening. Well, that, that in itself is worth celebrating, but I think the significance of the Spirit coming on Pentecost. It's almost, to me, like that is the fruit or the harvest of Jesus' work. So Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died in our place, so that when I put my faith in Him, there's a couple things that happen, right? My, my sinfulness got imputed to Him. So He was actually judged, crucified, was separated from His Father, from God the Father, because of that sin. But that's not the only thing that happens. His righteousness gets imputed to me. So both of those things happen through faith, right? And if you think about this idea that where does God live? Where does God dwell? Well, wherever he lives has to be a holy place. It can't, like, he doesn't just, listen, you know, I mean, this is the significance of reading the Old Testament. You know, when he talks in Exodus, he's like, hey, have commands Moses, have my people build me a a sanctuary, a holy place, a tabernacle, so that I can live among them. And all of these things that have to be crafted and created are overlaid with gold, and they're holy, they're set apart. No one goes in there. No one goes in the Holy of Holies except the high priest once a year to make atonement for his own sin and for the unintentional sins of the people. It's a very holy place. Like, you just walk in. you, You don't walk back out. Right? I mean, then you've got a story of the guy reaching out to touch the Ark of the Covenant to try to keep it steady, and he just falls over dead. <laughs> so wherever God dwells, like, that's a holy space, a sacred space. Right? He doesn't live in an unclean space. So how in the world can God inhabit a sinful person? How can that happen? Well, that only happens through the work of Jesus, and so if Jesus takes your uncleanness, he takes your unrighteousness, and he imputes his righteousness to you through faith, well, then uh, there can be a harvest, right? There can be a result. There can be a fruit of his labor. I mean, that's work. So, so now on this festival of harvest, you know, where you're celebrating, man, look at what God has done. He's taking care of us, and now there's this bounty. There's this, you know, this heart. Well, it's almost like you have the harvest of Jesus's work coming to fruition by the Spirit coming and living inside of believers. You know, now I don't. There's not a verse that says that, right? But I just think that that is a very ironic thing that that happens. Yeah. You know, that that happens yeah. to line up. Yeah, it's very very interesting. It just seems like listen to you talk. The applications for us as believers to bring it all the way to Greenville, South Carolina, May 2023, right? So the application for me as a follower of Jesus with this idea that now God dwells within me yeah. and my sin has been taken mm-hmm. by the death of Jesus. 
So that idea, and then the idea of what, is, what does that mean for us as a church body and how we interact and how we fellowship and serve and love one another. Worship. And worship, that's right. And so worshiping together, so this just feels right with applications for us. And so it's where I'd love for us to get to as a body is to think about, okay, Pentecost is not just another day on the calendar that comes and goes every year. Right. Uh, it's, it feels like a very important moment for us to pause, reflect, remember on Mm-hmm. What, what does all this mean? You know? So when I think about for me as a believer, what, based on that context of what happened, what should I be thinking about? What should I be preparing myself for this weekend? As, as I'm preparing for worship and bringing my family, we have a reading plan that is going to help give us some guidance as we're leading mm-hmm. into Sunday. But for me personally, in my prayer life, in my walk with God, what should I be thinking about this week? Yeah, I I mean, it's worth celebrating because, you know, just think about what it would be like to, I mean, we, we don't have any concept of what it would be like to try to follow God without the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But I mean, that's been the majority of history, right? I mean, ever, I mean if you just yep. read your Bible, mo- most people in history have had to try to follow God without His Spirit indwelling them. And so... You know, I mean, to give you an example, when David prays in Psalm 51, one of the things he says is, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's repenting mm-hmm. after he's you know, committed great sin. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a very real possibility that God could have just withdrawn from him and he would have been devoid of the Spirit. I mean, that, that's a terrible thought to have, right? Um, the fact that God dwells in us permanently mm-hmm. is an amazing idea. That, you know, I, he's always with me. He's always um, available to comfort me, you know, to point me to truth, to reassure me, to convict me when I step out of bounds, to produce fruit in me, to gift me, to empower me, to be useful and functional and powerful in his kingdom. I mean, it's all those are new ideas, mm-hmm. and those are worth celebrating, you know. Um, and before Pentecost, None of that was really true. I mean, the Spirit could come upon someone and empower someone for a specific task or inspire someone to write a letter that would be, you know, um, a prophecy that would be inspired or something like that. But that, that's a new idea. And so I, I actually, um, as I was thinking through this, I just did a quick search for Spirit in the New Testament, and I put down a few verses that I thought were significant for us. So I'll just run through these, if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, so John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. You know, the Holy Spirit's a person. He's a member of the, the Godhead, of the Trinity. He creates life. He regenerates people. Mm-hmm. He creates life in them that, that continues to spring up, like Jesus talked about, leading to eternal life. Uh, John 14, 26, the Spirit teaches us and reminds us of what Jesus taught. John 16, 8, the Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and a coming judgment. John 16, 13, the Spirit guides us to the truth. Acts 1, 8, the Spirit empowers us to witness about Jesus, carry out His mission. Romans 8, the Spirit removes our slavery to the law, gives us life, gives us freedom, and the ability to obey God. Mm-hmm. Romans 15, 13, the Spirit gives us hope so that we don't have to live in despair. 1 Corinthians 2.12, the Spirit allows us to understand the things of God. 
which is a very interesting <laughs> verse. First Corinthians six eleven: the spirit washes us, sanctifies us. That means he makes us holy and he justifies us before God. First Corinthians six seventeen: the spirit joins with our spirit, which is a very interesting <laughs> idea. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12 and several other places in the New Testament, the Spirit gives gifts or supernatural abilities for the common good and for the edification of the church. 2 Corinthians 5.5, the Spirit is the guarantee that we belong to God. 2 Corinthians 13.14, the Spirit puts us in fellowship with God. Galatians 5, the Spirit produces good things or good fruit in our lives, and it stands in opposition to evil. Ephesians 4.4, 4, the Spirit creates unity among believers. Philippians 3 and John 4, the Spirit enables us to truly worship God. And 2 Timothy 1.7, the Spirit grants us power, love, and self-control. And then, this is the last one I'll, I'll mention, but 1 John 4.13, the Spirit is what assures us that we abide in God and that God lives inside of us. I mean, that's, wow. that's a pretty significant list, and that's not all the references. Yes, that's just a handful. And all that is new at Pentecost. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, so it's pretty clear that the role of the Spirit, it plays a huge role in our life, in our devotion to God, in our devotion to others. Can you maybe help land the plane in this weekend coming up and just help us, like, how can we prepare for this weekend? Yeah, Sure. Last, last thought I'll offer is, you know, based out of 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, you, you all, you know, or mm-hmm. being in the South, this is mm-hmm. where y'all is actually <laughs> a helpful pronoun, yeah. right? Um, yeah. That don't you know y'all, all of you are the, are, are the, you know, indwelt by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You're God's temple, corporately. So there is this idea that God lives in the corporate body, in maybe a different or distinct way than he lives inside the individual. So what implications does that have for me? Well, that that means it's very important that I gather together with other believers because if God inhabits a corporate group of people differently than an individual, well, that's why you have verses like in Hebrews 10 that says, hey, be careful, Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that God may speak in a certain way, he may, he may move in a certain way, he may do things um, among this body of people that I, if I don't gather, if I'm not part of that, or if I neglect that, or if it's not important to me, I'm going to miss out on something, right? That's, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's an important piece. So I think, you know, for us, this, I mean, there's lots of different applications for this, but that means like coming to church on, on the weekend is important. It means being in biblical community is important. Like if I want to hear certain things from God, if I want to experience certain aspects of who God is and what he's doing, I've got to, I've got to be a part of all that, yeah. right? I mean, even Jesus said, you know, we're, we're two or three, you're gathered in my name. I'm there among you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we've become a little bit dismissive of that. Um, mm-hmm. In our culture, we think that, I can just listen to the podcast or I can just watch later or I, you know, I, I'll just do the Bible study by myself. Is that you're shortchanging yourself, right? And the scriptures speak against that. And so as believers, you know, if the spirit indwells in us, there ought to be a yearning for us to gather together to experience God in a way that I just am not going to experience him, um, 
in isolation. No, that's good. There should be an anticipation. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a contribution to bring, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's like you bring a bunch of little lights together and the room gets a lot brighter. Yes. So, I mean, there, it's not just I'm coming to receive, but I'm, I'm coming to be a part of something. I'm coming to join this corporate activity where God is somehow more present I don't know if more present, but is going to do maybe something unique or different than I can experience if I'm not a part yeah. of that gathering. Wow. And that's worth celebrating. Yeah. I mean, all those realities and truths of the Scripture of what the Spirit does in me, for me, through me, you know, um, and that's worth rejoicing yeah. over and just yeah. being like, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. it's a big oh, deal. Good. It helps me thinking about this weekend because I think – some direction around how sh- how should I be walking in on Sunday morning? I should have a spirit, a, a celebratory spirit that's ready to rejoice, mm-hmm. acknowledging who the spirit is and what he's done, being reflective upon that. But really, uh, we get to celebrate. This yeah. is a, we get to party <laughs> because right. of what the spirit done and what he's given us, and yeah. we get to do this for one another. What a powerful thing that God has given us. Amen. Let's not take it lightly. Yes. I agree. For sure. Well, thank you guys very much for sharing. Thank you for all these passages, too, to Mm -hmm. reflect on. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Well, as we wrap up today's conversation, we want to thank you for joining us. We realize that listening to a podcast episode can be an individual experience, which we believe is only enhanced by talking through it and applying it to life. And this is something that we believe lots of people don't naturally seek out or have built into their lives. So we want to encourage you to share this episode with someone else and ask them to share with you any takeaways they receive from listening. Be prepared to do the same and approach their feedback with a posture to learn and apply. This is a great way to move towards this discipleship issue. If you have questions or want access to additional resources, be sure to check out the podcast page located in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to joining you on the next episode.